We um, started a new collection a few weeks ago called Enough. And in this series, we're trying to allow God to challenge us to a level past status quo. Because it's easy to live in a mode of regular. I think we're always working against forces. What other people do as we look at them, we say, well, that's a certain standard. I guess everybody's living to that standard, so I'll just live to that as well. Overload, relationships, debt, you name it. There's a force that wants to, that just seems to keep us in a mode of regularness. Is that a word? It is now. (laughs) So we began by looking at, does it matter? And we would say, does the church, does God's local church matter? And most Christians would say, yes, if it doesn't matter, you honestly ought to assess your, what you would call your spiritual journey, your connection with God, whatever word you want to put on it. If the church is just optional once in a while, I would challenge you to say, does it even matter? But Christ loves the church so much that he challenges us to to make it matter enough. When I call people to take the next step and deepen their relationship beyond a Sunday morning to get into a group and say, you know, I, people will say sometimes, I know I've been there, I've done that and all that. Not about you. It's about what you might do with someone else, how you might impact someone else in a group of eight to ten people because that's where life impact really begins to happen. It doesn't happen here. Most pastors think if I just deliver the right message and the most powerful words that it may be eloquent and, and, um, and, and logical and, and brilliant. And I'm thinking of all the things of, um, that I think about myself and um, I'm kidding. <laughs> that somehow it will be, pow, man, people will be changed. Change does not happen in the Sermon on the Mount. It happens at the campfire with Christ saying, Peter, who do you say I am? Let's get down and dirty with it. That's where life change happens. Pastors fool themselves that they can do it from here. Doesn't happen. So does that matter enough that you might have life change and might change and impact someone else's life to get involved? Last week we looked about desperate enough. Are we desperate enough to make vital discipline change that we might hunger for God. Today, we talk about caring. I believe that we're created to care. I believe that's the way that the Bible tells us that we're wired. That's how he made us. When you look at the first pages of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we are told that Adam was a caretaker. Now, that means he took care of the Garden of Eden. And that means he was a, a gardener of a, a, you know, plants, but there were animals in there. In other words, he was created and wired not just to be about himself, but to automatically take care of something. Then God created Eve she was a help meet or a helper to get into the action and also become uh, a, a helper and a caretaker and whatnot. And I believe that Adam cared for her and Eve cared for him. And it, 
right from the beginning, God did not design us to just care for ourselves. And then we know that Adam stepped off the line and he uh, uh, infused in us, injected in us this, what we would call the sinful natures, the scripture refers to it, but it's a me-centered lifestyle, mindset, perspective, where things shifted from where we were designed to care for others and whatnot, and then we began to care a lot for ourselves. Christ came to redeem many things that became broken in the garden. God told Adam that if you eat of the fruit, you will die. They spiritually died. Christ came. He redeemed that and said, now you can be alive spiritually. There is a long list of things that Christ redeemed when he came. One of those was caring. We are recreated in Christ. We're born physically once. Jesus says, look, that's not the end. I didn't design this whole operation for you to be born physically and then to die physically, and that's the name of the whole game. I designed you to be born physically, but there will be another time in your conscious life, not when you're an infant, but once you reach a certain age where you know the difference between right or wrong and the choice between God or not and the specific choice of Christ who died for our sins, who took it all upon him like we just sang about. And whether you want to embrace that or not, there comes a choice in our lives. For me, it happened in my 20s. I was a late bloomer compared to some. And at that moment, we experience a second birth, clearly defined moment in our life where there's God creates in us a new chapter, a new life, a new beginning. We're told about that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We're told that as believers in Christ, we are God's workmanship, like a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God has already prepared in advance for us to do. So meaning when, we're, when we come to Christ, he's re-engaging why we were designed to care for others. I believe that for the most part, Christians care for one another and care for other people because God has infused in us this new beginning. Now, there are times in my life that I didn't care about anybody. And there are people in the world that don't care about anybody. I lived um, my chapters before Christ uh, basically caring about myself. In fact, I saw a T-shirt the other day, and uh, here's a guy that doesn't care. I used to care, but I take a pill for that now, it says. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I, I understand. Um, now, and this, we're two or three weeks into this conversation called Enough. So you know I'm going to present to you, do you care... Or do you care enough, right? That's where our expectation might go. Today I'm introducing a new dimension into this conversation. Because I believe if I said, how many of you guys care? I'm going to guess most all hands are going to go up. I do care. I care for somebody. How many of you could care more and care enough to do blah, blah, blah? And you'd say, yes, I'd like to do that. But there is a dangerous place for those of us that call ourselves Christians that is in between caring and caring enough 
a place of regularness that we find ourselves in, and that's where we're going to land this morning. Let me introduce this concept by an unfortunate skiing uh, experience I had. I grew up in Virginia, and uh, in a college uh, one time we took a ski trip. I had never gone snow skiing. And so they start you out on the bunny trails, and as a young um, 20-something, you know, a young man doesn't want to have anything to do with the name Bunny. So, you know... Uh, and that time, your, your radar's up for girls, and uh, you don't want to be seen on the bunny slopes, which is the beginner slopes, if you don't know. And so um, you're doing everything you can to learn fast to get off the bunny slopes just by virtue of the name bunny. And so <clears throat> I did a few runs on the bunny slopes, and so I thought, well... I'm ready for what those, I don't know what those black diamond things are, but I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, that's where the chicks are, so I'll go over there. And so I, I jumped from um, bunny to insanity, and in one, you know, it should have been like a three-year period. Mine was like more like a three-hour period. And so I'm on this slope and, you know, you're, you're like jazzed about it and you get up to the top and then, you know, you're, you're looking down and it's like, wow, man, that's like, uh, what kind of angle is that? 90 degrees or something? So it's like, wow, how do, how do people do this? Well, I guess we'll find out. So I started down and, and, um, I didn't ever get, you know, how some skier do that side thing. I didn't get that part. And so I'm just going straight and, um, picking up velocity as you can imagine. And then it suddenly hit uh, me uh, again, how moronic I am and, uh, that I needed to stop, uh, desperately. And, uh, when you're going fast and you don't know what you're doing, you'll just do anything in that moment. And so I just kind of clamped down and something happened. I only to this day don't know what happened, but the skis popped off. If you don't know about uh, skiing and, uh, they came and somehow miraculously whacked me in the, um, kneecaps. And I literally was, you know, after you spin and wipe out and, you know, hurt a lot of things, I was literally, I couldn't move my legs in that moment. Now, this beautiful girl came up and skied up. Perfect landing. I'm like, and and so, and she goes, do you, are you okay? Do you need any help? And the machoism, you know, uh, kicked in like, nah, I'm good. I'm all good. I'm good. Yeah. And so she skied off. And then that moment, I think you really are a moron. You could have met this chick. This could have been your wife, you know, all those things, but it wasn't supposed to be obviously because I'm married to a beautiful princess part of the story. <laughs> so <laughs> who was not as beautiful as that? Uh, so, you know, as the saying goes, <laughs> I may go a real long time just to avoid going home today. Uh, <laughs> see, the story would have been better if I said, and it turned out to be my wife. <laughs> you know, as the, as the saying goes, I knew just enough to be dangerous. See, I didn't know enough. I didn't, I just barely knew how to put the skis on and go straight, but I knew just enough to be dangerous. See, I think when it comes to caring, 
that there is a level of normalness, of regularness, of status quo, of check it off the checkbox that we can live in because we do care. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared for us in advance to do. Got it. I'm wired to care. But I don't always have to care enough. I can care just enough to make myself, well, feel good. You know, James would kind of nails a few things in James chapter 2 and verse 15. He says this, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well and keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? But we wouldn't say those words these days. We would say, hey, sorry to hear you having a hard time. God bless you and what? I'm praying for you. Now, nothing wrong with praying for somebody. We got it, right? God does not expect us to stop there because it's just enough. Man, sorry you're having a bad time. I'm praying for you. God bless you. See you next Sunday. It's just enough. Now, that's easy, right? I don't have to... I don't have to develop that thought with us. We get that. Let me move to something a little bit more subtle in this just enough sense. Because when I'm reading this about James, I'm like, okay, I, I, I understand that. But there's another layer. You know, life is a series of a means to an end. We have jobs because the end is not just the job. There's a, there's a means to an end. We get a salary so that we can have a home, so we can be responsible, so we can have a family, so we can put clothes on our back. That's just the way life works. We're, there, it's a means to an end. Uh, warfare is a means to an end. Interview anyone in Syria this morning and say, hey, uh, do you enjoy war? I mean, is this like a hobby or you're really into? No, this is not the end. This is a means to an end. Ask either side and they'll tell you what their end goal, their objective is. But the war itself is not the end. It's a means to an end. This is an election year. You elect an official not based on the suits they wear. You like the way they look or how their their wife is or you like their kids because, you know, come a couple months from now, it's all going to look... The same, both will have conventions and both will stand on a platform and they'll have, they'll be dressed up and they'll have their flag pinned on and they'll have their family behind them and they'll be waving to the crowds, both sides of the aisle, you know, doing the same thing. And we don't vote for people because we like or don't like the personality. It's a means to an end. We're, we vote on principles and ideologies and whatever that ideology that you grasp, for heaven's sakes, vote for that. Because the politician is a means to an end. Does that make sense? I know I'm talking about politics. You're like, whoa. <laughs> Everything we do is a means to an end, including caring. When we care for others, it is a means to an end. Let me show you a few things. When Jesus went and intersected with people, It was not just because they were in need and Jesus was a nice guy and cared 
alone just for someone's needs. He did, but it was more than that. You remember the story of not just any guy that Jesus came across, but a friend of his. His name was Lazarus. And Jesus got the message that Lazarus is sick. No, he's actually really sick. And Jesus delayed in going to see him. And Jesus says to his disciples in John 11, verse 4, when he heard this news about Lazarus being sick, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Well, he actually did die. But Jesus was going to go into the town three days after the guy was dead and he, he, he revived him back to life. Hey, breaking news. Lazarus died again at one point in his life. He's still not around to tell the story. But Jesus said, oh, I'm not even talking about that one. You know, he may have lived after Jesus brought him back from the dead and then he died somewhere else in his life. Jesus is saying, oh, no, he's still not going to die because this life goes on and on and on. Let me tell you why I'm doing this. I'm not doing it because he was a good friend. I'm not doing it just because I have compassion on his family. And, oh, man, there's another dead person. I got to go revive him. Otherwise, he would just have been bringing people back to dead alive ministry. You know, I mean, that's all he'd be doing because people are dying all the time. Jesus says this. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. End. See, him bringing back Lazarus from the dead allowed him that moment, that lab moment for people to see this guy even has the power over the finality of death so that he could say in that moment, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, see if a guy just comes on the scene like me and I make that claim. First of all, don't believe me. I'm just having a bad day if I say I'm the resurrection and life. But you would say, I got to see something, man. I've got to, I got to know that you are able to do what you're saying you're going to do. So I'm going to do this thing as a means to an end. Make sense? How about the guy who was blind? The religious wing tried to blame it on his parents because in the law, there were, there are scriptures that say in that, in that part of the scripture that the sins of their parents was visited on future generations. So the religious folks came to Jesus and said, was this his parents that caused him to be blind? And Jesus said in John chapter nine, verse three, neither this man nor his parents sin, but this happened as a means to an end so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming. When no one can work while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. We care because there is an end in mind. We don't just care because... We are just in that moment. There's something beyond that. Don't know how many of you, we had a great turnout Thursday night to Chip Powell's nutrition appetizer talking about why we should take care of our bodies. And a couple days after I said, man, I hope people didn't miss this one point. I mean, there was so much information, so many good points, but one of the things that really hit home, why should we care about our bodies and our health and all that? And one of the profound points that he made is that, You know, when we get to be older, when we're 70 and we're 80, we've accumulated wisdom. 
that, that should be in that moment. We should be spiritually wealthy. We should be spiritual bank accounts to pour out to other people. Now, if we haven't taken care of this temple, by the time we get to 70 or 80, at the time where we should be at octane, high octane, man, I'm ready to be used. This past week, I went out with somebody, had breakfast with someone who was sick, just turned 69. And I'm telling you, I, I came away from that and think, oh, this is the way it ought to be. This is why the scriptures say older men teach younger men. And he said, I know you're busy. You know, I said, this is gold for me. I love to draw from the accounts of those who have been down the road 30 or 40 years from me. And if we don't care for ourselves at the time where we're supposed to be swinging the bat hard, we're slumped over in a recliner with a bag of Doritos and not helpful to anybody. There is, so I hear a darn it in there somewhere. <laughs> There's a means to an end where we could just say, I want to take care of myself because we live on the beach and I want to look buff. Not in Christ's world. Christ's world demands that we're doing things for others. When we read these words about Jesus, he's saying, look, this is what it's about. When we go climb the wall, I really don't enjoy, I don't wake up saying, man, I wish I could climb a wall today. I come back and I've had bruises last time we did it a couple weeks ago. I got cuts on my knees and all that. It's a means to an end to teach us how to be men, to how to do hard things, to be a lab so that we learn what it means to live as a warrior for Christ, means to an end. Everything we will do in this church is a means to an end. Quite often... When we care for others, we lack something so critical. Now, I'm going to ask you to put your thinking cap on for a second. And I may rock a few canoes here. But as I've told you, that's my job. I'm a canoe rocker. It's right there in my job responsibility. I understand that as Christians, we care. As Christians, we often give out a lot of things. The first years of this church, we did because we wanted to care. But we missed one critical component, assessment. I'm reading an incredible book now called Toxic Charity. And it's rocking my canoe, to be honest with you. I've read a couple others, When Helping Hurts and The Poor Will Be Glad, all great books in the same vein. To challenge us as Christians that when we care to evaluate what we're doing because if it were left to us, you know my saying, we'll slide the frozen turkey up someone's driveway, check it off the the checklist, drive home, feel really good about it, and the dang turkey may sit there and thaw and rot in the driveway. We felt good about giving it out. Robert Lupton of Toxic Charity says this, What is so surprising is that our outcomes are almost entirely unexamined. As compassionate people, we have been evaluating our charity by the rewards that we receive through the service. Now, I know this is tough, but I've been, it's not my first rodeo. I've been around the track of the Christian track now for three decades, and I see how it works. 
and what I'm learning, and this is a change for me over the last couple of years that we'll do a, a one week mission trip and we'll go down with a thousand sunglasses and we'll, we'll hand them out and we're laying how great we are. And we didn't think about the guy on the corner who sells sunglasses and we've just raped his income. But we got on the plane coming back and think, high five, man. That was awesome. See that guy's face when we gave him something free? And we put people in a place of entitlement, a place where they're codependent on someone else. God didn't create us to be that way. But sometimes we miss that because it feels, because we're created to care, it feels so good to give people stuff. The poor will be glad. President of Hope International writes this book. Tremendous history and how the church has given out stuff has a tremendous chapter on the dignity and the loss of dignity when we just keep giving people stuff. You see, in Belize, for example, there are seven ponds that can farm 20,000 tilapia. Our dream is that in a few years, we won't be giving them a dime. It's already started. They're growing corn. They're growing chickens. They're growing cattle. They're ha- they have horses. They're not eating them. Um, they're <laughs> so that they can have the dignity to be able to raise up on their own We've hired people now, locals in Belize. One man, Peto, didn't have the self-esteem to even get a driver's license. And now that he's working on the property, he's got his license, he's supporting his family, and we're building a relationship. We just didn't give him stuff. We don't want to go down to Wilkinson and just hand out a bunch of stuff on a, on a single day, walk away and say, man, that was awesome. We want to get into their lives as a means to an end, to love them, to care for them, and do the hard work of carrying them. Isn't that what Christ did? Otherwise, he would have jumped on the planet and said, hey, guys, here's the manual. See ya. It's a means to an end. Always a means to an end. You know, we live our lives this way. Sometimes we don't recognize it. Um, I'm going to bring up that that uh, picture of, uh, you know, like someone might say, hey, you got a new couch, you know, but it's a means to an end. That's actually a pool table there. You know, you bought the couch as a means. To... Somebody may say, uh, hey, uh, some of you are just like, huh, what? Um, you might say, hey, you got a new iPhone. Cool. That's, was that the end? No, that's a means to the end. I needed some brass knuckles that come with the iPhone. You don't have that version yet? Someone might say, hey, what? A, you got a new kitty cat. No, I just needed to clean. Okay, I've gone too far. I, I know you're saying that. All cat lovers are like, I hate that man. I will kill him after the service. Hi, I'm back. (laughs) Let me tell you this story, a familiar one in the scriptures, but I want you to see it from this angle of a means to an end. It's a story of Jesus feeding the thousands. But there's nestled in that story, the core of Christ's heart. Let's not miss it. 
If you're like me, you may have to think a little harder and retrain how we operate, how we shall be. Because once we redefine how we shall be, that we're not just going to be giver-outers, but we're going we're gonna to be those who walk with others, it will affect what we do and watch what we don't do as a church. Most stories have a beginning and end, and then end. This one has a beginning and means to an end and an end. Jesus was before these thousands of people teaching. There came a time where they had been out there a long time, and the disciples cared. Matthew chapter 14, verse 15. As the evening approached, the disciples came to Christ and said, Hey, this place is kind of rural. It's, it's a remote place, and it's getting late. We care enough to say the next thing. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy f- themselves some food. In other words, <clears throat> we care just enough to understand that people are hungry. There's a cracker barrel right up the road. Why don't we just send them out? You see, this is where we land so often. You know why they said that? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Are you ready? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It was easy. It was easy. That took no effort for them to turn to Jesus and say, man, they're hungry. Why don't we send them away? Hey, I tell you what, there's a need there. Why don't we write a check? Now, see, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience has been in the past of the churches where I've led and served that we would have a list of 15 to 20 missionaries. And we would write a check and send it in the mail for about 50 bucks, maybe 100 bucks a month. Not a lot of contact, not a lot of hands-on. And we felt good because we had 20 missionaries on the list of our bulletin. This one hits home. My, my, my wife's parents were missionaries to Japan for nearly two decades. What that meant is when they would travel for years and take their station wagon and go to church after church and break out the film loop in those days and show the vision of what God had laid on their heart. And they get back in the car and say, we got $25. And we're going to have to go miles and miles and miles and miles of churches writing the $25 check. Why don't we just send them away? I led a committee in a church on the East Coast called a benevolence committee. If you haven't been in the church culture, you probably don't know how to spell benevolence, much less know what it means. And we had local ministries that we wrote checks to. And every year, we'd come to the front of the year and say, let's see, well, this is our one and only meeting. Let's get it right. We gave the Salvation Army 75 bucks this year. What do you guys think? Should we do 75 again? What do you think? 75? Going once? Going twice? 75? Everybody good? 75 it is. All right. Send them away. Okay. We uh, did Habitat for Humanity, $25 last year. What do you think? Should we do uh, like 30 this year? What do you think? It's a big, big increase. 30. What do you think? 30? 30? Hmm? 30? I should do auctioning. It's pretty good. 
Yes, 2.30. We never built the house. We never entered the doors of the Salvation Army. And I'll never forget after three years, I'm like, something's off here. And I came into the meeting um, and uh, there was a lady, I'll never forget, uh, Coletta. And when I said, maybe we ought to do something instead of write checks, I swear I thought they were going to kill me. It was such a foreign object that we should go into the school when the child may not be able to read, to be selfless enough to give up an hour of our time as a means to an end to know a child so that we can perhaps know the single mom that's raising the child or the grandmother that's raising the child so that we can embrace their lives and know them that at the end we might say, I love Christ and that's why I'm here. And I would offer you not just reading, but offer you love. I offer you caring enough to be able to have the opportunity to say Christ can change your life. And if you choose not to embrace Christ, I will embrace you because that is the picture of our God. Last night, my mom, who's been in the hospital, had a lady come to me and said, Hey, I just gave your mom my phone number. I've told her I'm retired. I, I drive real well. You can be safe. I'll take her anywhere. I'll pick her up. Doctor's appointments. You know what? Means to an end because I always can't do it. And I said, Oh, you've just helped me too. After church last night, someone said, Can I make an appointment with you? I'm like, Sure. Jim Childs, our director of operations, sat down with this lady. And she says, I've, I've had a passion. I've been in another church for a decade. I've had a passion for children with special needs. And she goes, I want to offer that to you on Sunday morning. I just want to be there. And what I do is I read the scriptures to them. I'm not babysitting. And I, just, I, and I, I come to church on Saturday nights. And we have a special needs child. He has autism. And my daughter watches him and then so we can come to church and then she comes on Sundays and so so we watch the child and I said and she said but here's the deal let me tell you something parents with special needs have an extra weight and the divorce rate for parents of children with special needs is much higher So I'm doing this because I love this. I'm offering this because I love these children. But I also love the parents. A means to an end. After she left, I turned to Jim and I said, Wow, how selfless is that? You see, she didn't say, Hey, let's put them in a room and just turn a TV on. Because that would have just, that'd be just enough. We did something. We cared. Jesus is saying, no, don't watch. His response, Matthew 14, verse 16, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. Because you're here. And then he says, you give them something to eat. You get involved. Let's break them up in groups of 50. 
And once the fish and the loaves start multiplying, sit down in the group, get to know them, and share a little Panera. Don't care just enough. It's so easy to say Cracker Barrels up the road. Here's the proof in the pudding. Watch this. Here's how it went down. Had a great time. Had a great meal together with thousands. Jesus proved you can have thousands and still break them down into smaller groups and really have a meaningful time. After that, the the religious wing, the Pharisees, they missed the point. They thought that was the end. They looked at Jesus like we'd look at David Blaine. Like, wow, do another magic trick. If you don't know him as a street magician, it's kind of weird too. But at any rate, uh, yeah, <laughs> different story. Um, but they only saw magic. They only saw, wow, show us another one. Oh, you missed the whole point. So they get in a boat, the disciples with Jesus, they're going across the water. There's a storm that arises and, and Jesus calms the storm. He gets in the boat. They're having the conversation. And Jesus kind of just mildly leans over to these guys and says, be careful, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. It's insidious. Yeast just kind of spreads and spreads and spreads and spreads because they're only looking at the, at the thing rather than the means of the thing, the end of the thing. And at that point, the disciples say, I think he's ticked off because we forgot to bring bread. I mean... I'm surprised that Jesus' head, forehead, didn't have, like, blisters, you know, from going, you know. He's really ticked off because we forgot bread. And then at this moment, he rapid fires nine questions. After this discussion, Jesus asked him, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still see and not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? Do you have ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets of pieces do you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke up the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. And he said to them, do you not still understand? Ugh. That was the last one. That hurt. (laughs) He was saying that was a means to an end. It wasn't about bread. It wasn't about fish. It wasn't even about that particular need. It wasn't about the storm, the boat, the lightning, the thunder. It was about me allowing you to know I am the creator, the bread of life. Don't miss it. Don't miss the end of what I'm trying to show you. Fear not. Take courage. It is me. He jumps in the boat in Matthew 6 and says, Do not be afraid. He climbed in the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. Why? Because they missed that means to the end. They had not understood about the loaves. I love Christ for what he tries to teach us. Don't settle for just enough. Paul loved the church, loved the church, loved the church. In First Thessalonians chapter 2, he says to the church, as apostles of Christ, we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. At which point we go, oh, he was such a nice guy, that Paul. I'm telling you. Like a mother caring for children. Wow, that's really cool. Hmm. I'm going to go about my day now. That's all I needed to hear. No, he says, no, I cared for them. That's the way I'm created to care. But he says this, 
But we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. I'm going to close today with a picture. This is a picture of when I was 20 years old. I'm the guy on the left. Thank you very much. My shirt tail's still out. My zipper was still halfway down. And nothing's changed much, has it? <laughs> Back in the 80s in church life, we had what they called afterglows. Anybody remember that? Afterglows. What that meant was a little drink after the service. Just kidding. No. What that meant. Hi. No, sorry. What that meant is that we had fellowship after the service. After the evening with back then, we had Sunday night services, and this was one of them. This is two months after I came to Christ. The man over my shoulder to the left of the screen, his name is Titus. Titus was from India. Titus was the man who preached the gospel on the day that I'd heard it for the 1500th, but the first time in my spirit. He's the man that I, will, I cannot wait to embrace in heaven for being faithful to the gospel of Christ. The guy to my right that I'm talking to, his name is Jibby. Jibby was from Sri Lanka. Before I came to Christ, I was, or as I came to Christ, I was living in Boston, studying to be a concert pianist. I worked very hard, but I lived in a little rat hole in the center of Boston. It was a transitional year. Before that year, I had won first place in every single competition I had entered. And then I came to the big city. And I was suddenly somewhere around number 57. Tough year. Emotionally. Intellectually. Trying to figure it all out. That kind of storm and drong period of my life. At the same time, I'm pursuing God in a way that I don't even know what I'm doing. Like the black diamond slope. I knew it enough just to be... I checked out Scientology. I checked out Christian Science. The big, the mother church was a stone's throw from my apartment. I was just trying to find God. And when God brought me there that day, I heard the gospel of Christ for the first time in my spirit. And I said, yes. Now watch this. This pastor to the left said to me, Steve, I'm also a landlord of this apartment building. All of us are from India. You'd be the only Caucasian in the group. It was culinary heaven. I fell in love with Indian food, I'm telling you, and the Indian culture. And he says, I've got an opening in one of my apartments. Would you like to move in? And at that time, I'm like, heck, yeah, man. I'm living in some rat hole in the middle of the city. That'd be cool. It's not because he cared just enough. This man had a means to an end. You see, Jibby was a vibrant, on fire, passionate Christian. <laughs> this man cared enough about me that he said, how about we meet since you're living in my apartment now. How about you come to dinner once a week and one-to-one, I'm going to take you on. I promise you, 
I would not be standing here today if it were not from two people around the other side of the world called Titus and Jibby. You see, they could have cared just enough and said, I saw that you you signed the card to accept Christ. We're praying for you. Come to our Bible class. Make sure you're here on Sundays. And here's a new Bible. No, they said, why don't you live with us and eat with us and sleep with us? I ended up working with them. And my life was changed This is what God calls us to, to care enough and not just enough. Are you in? Now, before you say yes, this is harder. Just enough is easier. Send them away. That's easy. Before you say yes, it might require an hour of your time to read with a child. You see, I've got a dream. I sound like Martin Luther King up here. <laughs> Darn it, he's already used that phrase. <laughs> of what it could look like. Imagine people from the boating group and from the food group and from the marriage group reading to a child as a means to an end to build a relationship. I have a dream of those who are retired Skyping with an orphan in another country to read with them. Why not? Because this is what God has called us to. We have a dream together as 360 To reach not only the child that needs reading, but the single mom, the single dad, the struggling double-income family, the grandmother who's raising the child. Not just a, a grandma that we're helping put a roof on her house, but how about even those who are working to break up in teams to learn more about each other as we're doing it so that Christ becomes part of what we're doing. Oh, church of God. No, 360, can we care enough not just to give out stuff? Can we care enough not just to send them away, not just to write a check, but to embrace and live and walk? I say, let's get jazzed. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for teaching us again to not take the easy route. And thank you, Christ, for showing us that that's not what you did. You could have cared just enough to keep this planet well fed, to keep sunshine on it, to keep rain coming, to keep things growing, to keep the air breathable, You could have cared from heaven just enough. But thank you, God, for the picture of caring enough to step out of the safety of heaven, to walk in the filth of our humanity. Oh, God, 
we simply ask this. Help us to be and to be like Christ. Amen.